Listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Javelin Richards. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover Cover Javelin's Bistro. I am your host. Happy Wednesday to you. Today I will be talking with Joe Geis. Joe Geis is an award-winning radio journalist, author, teacher, community activist, and former former TV reporter. As a special correspondent, she was part of the Peabody award-winning team at Marketplace, the most popular business program in America. At Marketplace, she won an Emmy for an exceptional radio story from the National Women's Political Caucus and a Gracie from the Foundation of American Women in Radio. She's traveled all over the world, and today, Joe will join us to talk about her memoirs, Never Sit If You Can Dance, Lessons from My Mother Babe. Welcome, Joe, to Cover to Cover with Javelin. Well, thank you. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you. So you have written this lovely uh, memoir of growing up with Babe, and in that you are offering your reader many gifts of lessons that Babe taught you that stayed with your life and gave you a wonderful life in many ways, some, and offerings to other people that you met in your own journey. Um, I- excuse me? Uh, was that a question? <laughs> yes, it's a question. It's a, well, it's a comment that what your book is offering as a gift, that these lessons that you learned from your mother is the gifts that you were able to offer people in your own journey. Yeah, I, I, I look at it that way, that, um, that people will, um, I think that's at the end, um, uh, that's the last sentence at the end of the introduction, that um, it says, uh, I wrote this collection as a gift for Babe and for all the mothers everywhere who laid the groundwork that shaped us, even if we didn't exactly recognize it or appreciate it or them at the time. Babe gave me these gifts, and in this book, I'm giving them to you, the reader. Exactly. So tell us about the book. Tell us about your mom and growing up with Babe. Well, I, I think one thing about um, that, I've, that I've heard from um, other people about the book is that, um, so why your mother? What's so special about your mother? You know, why not my mother or somebody else's mother? And um, at first when I heard that from people, I kind of went, well, okay, you know, I had to think about it. And then what I thought about is that mom, first of all, she her, she was named Gladys, but she didn't like that name. And she was the baby in the family, so they called her Babe, and it stuck with her. And And she was some babe. She was just much more lively and with it than um, almost any of the other mothers I knew. And 
this was the title of the book is something that she said, you know, never sit if you can dance. But what she meant by that, and she and my father danced a lot all the time, but what she really meant by that is not just dance, because some people are intimidated by the idea, well, I don't know how to do the two-step, or I don't know how to do the tango. What do you mean dance? I'm just going to sit here. What she meant is is just get up off your tush and move. Um, and, um, and I like that philosophy a lot. So when you talk about your mom in the early part of your book and you share that she went along with her father on his trips as when he worked, the, the his job requirement, he was an, an engineer, but not an, a formal engineer, but he had the skills, the trades of that, and he would travel in his work and your mom would go with him and she would wait for him in the car and you resisted that kind of personality that you later well, learned to appreciate, if I have that. Well, what I, what I really um, uh, rebelled against at the time is that when she was waiting for him in the parking lots uh, on these road trips that they went on, is she was embroidering. And I just thought that was so docile and passive and, you know, stitch after stitch. I mean, my dad was in there at a business meeting. He was an inventor. And he invented um, equipment that um, that revolutionized shipyards. And in the beginning, he you know he was his own salesperson too. So he's in there at this business meeting, and sometimes I got to tag along with them. I don't know why they let me. I can't have been that much of a pleasure, maybe. And and mom is outside with her needles and her her embroidery thread. I just thought she should be doing something a little more important than that. But, see, this is what is interesting, I think, if you live long enough to see kind of the arc of people's lives. When I asked her about that not too long ago, I said, hey, Mom, what, you know, what were you doing, you know, on those trips out there just stitching, stitching? I mean, I still have those dish towels and pillowcases she did. And she said, well, I was supporting your dad. When he came out of a meeting, like at Todd's shipyard, and things hadn't gone so well, um, he had someone to talk to um, about that. Or if things had gone really well, he had someone to celebrate with. And I didn't, you know, little scoldy eight-year-old at the time, um, when I looked down at her just hanging around in the industrial parking lots embroidering, I, I didn't realize that what she was really doing was contributing to their marriage and strengthening their marriage. Um, and then I thought, oh, wow, right, because um, she really adored my dad, and um, it she was crazy about him, and I think I um, I inherited that kind of feeling about my husband from how um, how she was with um, with Dad. I mean, they they had a real love affair. In your conversations with your mom, Joe, did you ever discover like a part of what made her so different? Like, what happened? In was it just something innate in her that she didn't go with the pack? Like, for instance, when you speak to other women who have mothers or the mothers that you grew up with around the circle of people, your mom stood out, had her own way of, of moving through, navigating the world. Did you ever f talk to her about where that came from, her, her, indep her independence in a world in which 
at that time, you didn't see her necessarily as being independent, but she was a very independent woman in what she wanted to do and how she did her life. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how I would answer that. Uh, like, what, what was the? Why she was so, I mean, look, I mean, she even married somebody um, who was an inventor. Um, and her, her, one of her sisters married someone who worked in um, a shipyard. He unloaded ships. And another of her sisters married a carpenter. Um, so she had a, a different feeling about herself from early on, I think, Um and um yeah i yeah i i'm not i'm not really sure about that I, um do you think that some of that has showed itself in your own life personally where you've found that you actually have walked your own path when the rest of the world around you colleagues etc had their own way of doing something but yet there was something in you that was comfortable with resisting, if that may be the right word, but doing you. Have you discovered that part um, of her in you? Yeah, that's that's a really um, good comment. And some of that also comes from uh, my dad, mm-hmm. who was, um, uh, um, you know, an inventor, uh, a self-trained engineer. And he always told me that um, boss is a four-letter word, don't ever have a boss. And as a journalist, sometimes that was a hard, um, that wasn't the best advice, maybe. Um, but um, so they were, they were a team in that, um, that they were, um, they had, they both put together a pretty creative lifestyle for, for the times that they were, um, you know, growing up in, in, you know, in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s. You're listening to Joe Guys here on Cover to Cover with Javelin Richards, and I also want to let everyone know that Joe has agreed that she will give out 10 of her books uh, to callers. If you have a question or if you'd like to get a book as we continue talking about the content of the book, there's also a question that she inserted for a reminder for Mother's Day that, of course, has come up in a few months, but she I got this with the pack. And what the question is, what's a lesson that you learned from mom or mother figure, grandma, nana, or favorite aunt that only you came to appreciate later uh, later in life? So if you want to call and give that answer and share that with Joe and myself here on Cover to Cover, please feel free to do. And also, Joe will be giving away 10 of her latest book, her memoirs, Never Sit If You Can Dance, Lessons from My Mother Babe. So, Joe, you also took up dancing because of your parents, which was an important part of their life and their social circle. And in fact, one of your divorces, you went immediately to dance class. Oh, wait, wait. I only had one divorce. One divorce. Oh, that's right, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you has that passed away. Your divorce, absolutely. Right. That you, but you found that it was dance that really was part of your healing process. 
Oh, absolutely. I went out, I did line dancing, and then I did, um, at the time it was called Fumbling Toward Ecstasy with five rhythms where you just, it's kind of like trance dancing. And I even a- actually brought my mother to uh, some of the Fumbling Toward Ecstasy to see if she, I didn't think at that point, at that point she was in her late 80s and I don't think she was I didn't think she was going to do the dancing I didn't think she's going to fumble around but um but she wasn't judgmental about it at all it's a kind of um dancing trance dancing where um men are often wearing long skirts women are wearing you know anything goes and um it it was certainly a way I ended up healing myself, and I would turn to dancing. Um, I didn't turn to um, you know formal dancing like you know you know football step turn. I did some of that once. Um, I uh, I uh, signed up. I think he's called Doctor Dance, and I signed up for some. T- classes and it was just too regimented for me i like freeform dancing um and and what's really kind of fun with the book never sit if you can dance um which by the way even though it's not coming out until mother's day you can pre-order on amazon now um but what's what's fun about it is um is it's not we're just talking about movement um, we're not talking about that you've got to be intimidated that somebody um, is better than you are at something. Tell us some of the lessons that your mom offered you that, and you also, as you said earlier when we started our interview, that you're offering uh, others to be able to take a look at. Lesson, you have 13 lessons inside of the contents. Tell us about some of the lessons that, and not just some of them, but ones that you have found really valuable for your own life well um i i love them all of course um but um because i think there's a surprise in many of them but um one of my favorite ones is don't be drab um her idea of um of one of her ideas her way of expressing herself i remember this when she was pregnant with my um sister who is um nine years younger than i am so i was nine years old at the time and my mother had a um a maternity dress and they wore maternity dresses then rather than tight t-shirts um and um it was red and it had pleats it came all the way down from the neckline to the hemline and it was just this cascade of red pleats and um with a bow at the neck and um, and that pretty much summed up Babe. Um, she she was never going to be drab. Um, and when she was not, when you go by those stores, you know, and all they have a clothing in there that's gray and black, and and there's not even any splash of red or any color at all. Um, you know, she would have just walked by those because it wasn't that she was wearing color to make herself um, that attractive, although she certainly believed in being attractive, but it was more about that color also attracted people to her, um, sort of like, um, you know, let's let's be friends. And um, I notice that when, when I go out and I'm wearing something red 
or something orange, red is my favorite color, um, uh, people will say, wow, you know, that looks cheerful. Um, and I think it's really helpful. There was, there was just this wonderful piece about Abraham Lincoln um, a little bit ago in the Wall Street Journal, and it showed him wearing a red vest. And I thought, right, and it was a bright red vest. He had on this kind of dull brown jacket, um, probably with leather on the elbows. But he had this cool red vest on underneath it. And I thought, right on. You know, Mom would have approved. You, in terms of the lesson nine, people don't like to be around depressed people. And this came up out of a, a saying that your mom had. She was depressed. But there was a, there was also a saying that uh, a poster that said, "I can't make it alone." And you, at the time, was expressing your independent feminism. To, uh, what is that lesson that you learned from that, and your mom taught you? Well, um, my mom would just—I mean, I—I I was kind of the typical New Yorker back then. I was living in New York City. Um, if you didn't have your own therapist at the time. Um, you know, you, everybody had their own therapist to, you know, help them through their depression. And, um, but I looked at my mom, who, uh, when I was growing up, had all these miscarriages. And she was depressed during that period. But then she, um, after she got over that, she, she just kind of sucked it in and just said people don't like to be around depressed people and so this was um another of the lessons lesson five make the best of it and um okay i'll tell you a story about that and in the book it's it's stories about getting stuck in the middle of nowhere because my father had a job in, on the in this dam in the middle of nowhere in montana and some other wives and mothers would have just you know stayed home with the kids and let the the dad go off for the summer but she found a shack literally a shack and fixed it up and we um we went and um lived there um and um but i was thinking about this recently because i i think i told you that i um i uh tore my achilles tendon and um and i had a very bad time in the recovery going on um, 63 days now. But it was a couple weeks ago, and a very good friend of mine who knows my book well said, okay, because I was kind of down in the dumps because I wasn't walking yet. My friend said, okay, what would babes say? And what is her? what would her lesson for you be in this? And she would say, make the best of it. And I thought, okay. So my husband threw me a birthday party with cakes and champagne, and the house was filled with friends and love, and um, and it cheered me up. And uh, um, and I I think she just had, even when like um, I mean, there's so many great stories, but one when Hurricane Carla was. Um, fixing to smash into Houston. It smashed, in, unfortunately, to Galveston instead. But And my mother thought that, you know, they were going to evacuate. And the neighbor came over with her five kids and the bird in the cage. And mom realized that the neighbor knew nothing more about evacuating than she did. So they all stayed put. But they got all the food together. Everybody rounded up at my parents' house. And it's one of the, like best memories 
of my childhood because it was about gathering together and friendship and communities and you know this hurricane is threatening to you know hit but but we were still all together and um and celebrating and eating the food sharing the food we had and my mom was really um a master at that she she just knew how to gather people together and never leave a comment a compliment unsaid, Lesson 11. Tell us about that one. because, And I, I mentioned that one in this moment because I think women have a hard time embracing compliments and living inside of them and empowering themselves. And well, that, yeah. well, you have uh, um, chosen out the only um, uh, lesson in the book that I learned from my mother backwards, that I did exactly the opposite of what she did. Um, you know, sometimes mother doesn't know best. And um, because growing up, um, she never gave me a compliment. And she said, even when I would come back from a speech tournament and had won all the trophies, um, she, um, and, and she said, well, it would go to my head. I would get conceited. Um, and she, there were three of us kids, and she said she didn't want to just compliment one of us. But as, as a good friend of mine said when she heard that story, she said, yeah, but she, she could have given all three of you compliments. But, and maybe it was also that kind of uh, modest 50s parenting that, um, that you don't go overboard um, with uh, compliments like that. But, and so what I've done in my life, since I know how good it feels to get a compliment, um, I give them if they even slightly occur to me. Like, like if I see somebody in a yellow dress and I happen to love that color, um, if it occurs to me that, boy, she looks great in that, I mean, even if it's a total stranger and I don't know her, um, actually, that's one of the stories in the book. Um, I was in a store, a bookstore, and this woman had on this uh, very cheerful yellow dress. It was um, almost springtime, and I said, wow, isn't that a cool color you've got on it's one of my favorites and she said oh she said i'm so glad you said that she said that she'd just been at a funeral and her girlfriends were all um berating her for wearing that color to a funeral and she said she thought the person who had died would appreciate it and she was actually um had tears in her eyes when she thanked me for the compliment and I have found that frequently that um, I'll give people a compliment just out of the blue, and it touches them so um, so profoundly. Um, I think that's um, if I think that's something that maybe we can all learn even more. That if any positive feeling we have about someone else, um, if we think that like. Um, like the barrister at, at the coffee shop had on a really cool plaid tie. And I said, you know, you look great in that tie. And he did. And then he told me he really liked, like, my Harry Potter black glasses. And I said, oh, thanks, yeah. You know, and so we both went on our way with a little bounce in our step. We weren't uh, flirting. We weren't hitting on each other. We were just passing on some positive vibes. And um, I just loved that. How do you think, Jill, that what you have written, Never Sit If You Can Dance, 
at this time in history where the story, the narrative that's out there is that there's a level of division between people more heightened with the political and economical times we exist in. How do you imagine some of the lessons that your mom, babe, uh, passed on to you could really uh, come into people's lives that read your work, your memoirs, and offer them tools uh, to be able to navigate you know that's that's a, a good um, comment in that I I think that in these turbulent um, coarse uh, uncivil times that I've heard that people who've read my book say that it offers a lesson in decent civility I mean we're not talking Emily Post like what fork you should use we're talking about how to treat each other with um, more kindness and respect. And, and look, you know, come on. I came from this, you know, through the back door here. I mean, I, I was the original scoldy daughter put-down artist. I didn't, I was, you know, flying off to New York to be a journalist. I, um, I didn't respect what my mother was doing when I was a kid. I thought she should be, I don't know, I had this idea she should be a judge. I didn't even know what a judge was. Um, but um, so it, uh, um, I don't know, did, 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 I, think, I think I made the point that in, in these turbulent times that Common Looking. decency. What I'm hearing you say is a common decency, just some of the, the accessible tools that we have, like saying to a person, that yellow color looks wonderful on you, to a stranger, saying to a person, that what you just did, I like that. It just, and, and as you've seen how people respond, I think we all in this moment can remember a time when someone that without a name or address to them that we know of have said something and it sort of said, wow acknowledgement and then lesson 13 sometimes life begins again at 95 well this is i was recently asked like um what's my favorite lesson in the book and i thought oh well it probably will be sharing fun is the whole thing or or maybe never showing up empty-handed i really like that one but what really came to me kind of out of the blue was um, sometimes life begins again at 95, and I, I almost choke up even thinking about it because my mother had um, uh, been living pretty independently, and um, then she got shingles. That was really about the only thing she ever got. But um, then she lived with me for a while, and she lived with my sister, and it became apparent that, um, that a senior community might be a good answer for her at this last part of her life. And... I think we, you know, we we were, my sister and I and my brother, we had, you know, some misfeelings about this, maybe some guilt about it, maybe, um, you know, maybe we should do something. Anyway, my sister found this wonderful senior community in Houston, and um, it, 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 it's it didn't look idyllic. It was a 16-story building. That's not necessarily what you think of. Maybe like a parkland or something you'd think of. But um, the people there were wonderful. And what had been missing previously when she'd been living like at my sister's was this um, 
camaraderie of her peers. And she got in with a group there, like eight of them ate their meals together. And she had people knocking on her door all the time. And um, it she just blossomed. And um, I have also heard and I have read um, Atul Gawand in his book Being Mortal. He talks about this um, phenomenon that he witnessed with his father, um, that at a certain age, um, people can blossom in the right environment. And that's the lesson that I want everyone to hear. We've come to the end of our conversation. You've been listening to Joe Geis, Never Sit If You Can Dance, Lessons from My Mother Babe. Thank you, Joe. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Shiva is coming to Berkeley, the world-renowned Indian scholar, environmental activist, and exceptionally wise writer has authored more than 20 books, including Who Really Feeds the World and Making Peace with the Earth. Bandana will join Vijaya Nagarajan to discuss Feeding a Thousand Souls, Women, Ritual, Ecology in India. This is the terrific new book by Vijaya. She writes... Millions of Tamil women throughout Southeast Asia wake up before dawn to create the kolam, a ritual design on the thresholds of their homes. They've been doing this for thousands of years. Find out why on February 11, a Monday evening at 7.30, when these two remarkable women will converse at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. This KPFA benefit has wheelchair access. Find tickets at brownpapertickets.com and East Bay Indie Bookstores. Vandana Shiva, Vijaya Nagarajan, February 11th.